Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. This podcast is brought to you in association with Caldevi, your worldwide partner for iconic bathroom solutions shaped from superior steel enamel. Caldevi's extensive range of bathtubs, shower surfaces and wash basins is ideally suited to the demands of the hospitality industry delivering an increased level of health and well-being awareness for your hotel. The smooth, non-porous glass surface not only gives you security against germs and dirt, but is also the material of the future. Caldevi's steel enamel is made of 100% natural materials and is 100% recyclable, so it's good for your guests and the planet too. To learn more, visit caldevi.com. Hello and welcome to the Sleeper 2020 podcast. I'm Guy Dietrich, editor-at-large of Sleeper magazine. We are picking up where we left off with our real-life events earlier this year to celebrate our 20th anniversary. This is a series of conversations with leading explorers, thinkers, and artists in hospitality experience and design. Our aim is to take a long-term view, looking at where the worlds of hospitality and travel may be headed over the next two decades. We will look at the themes, trends, and topics that will shape the landscape in years to come. And of course, we will now be looking at this through the lens of our new reality, and how the coronavirus may alter or accelerate that future. Today, we're speaking with David Rockwell. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. David, your offices are right on Union Square. I think you're at home right now, but how are things back in the office? You know, Union Square is one of those spaces in New York, for for those who aren't familiar with it, that um, has become like a town meeting space. So it's a place where people go to celebrate and to protest to collaborate in, in public, and it's, uh, it's an amazing space. So it is home to a lot of the protests that we've been seeing. The office is closed. We're all working remotely, which is surreal and has been a, a real learning experience. And we are planning to open back up with a kind of revised physical program to address the pandemic in a few weeks. You know, we've, we've, uh, we've learned to work remotely very quickly. The work is going well. We do try and all stay in touch with each other. But the reality is what doesn't happen is all of those, I guess what I refer to as sort of serendipitous meetings and ideas that happen in between ideas when people are physically together meeting. And um, I think design, the way we design, is um, all based on a collaboration. David, let me continue with this uh, uh, little introduction, just to, to tell our listeners a, a little bit about what you're up to. Rockwell are a multidisciplinary studio doing architecture and design in fields of culture, retail, workplace, and much more. But we speak with you today, David, wearing your hospitality hat. After all, you have helped establish Four hotel brands, W Hotels, Aloft, Nobu, and Equinox. From the first Nobu restaurant in 1994, the first W Hotel in 1998, you've enjoyed long-term relationships with several clients and a long run of success. The group have been shortlisted and won at our head awards. Moxie Hotels, Lightstone, and Tau Groups have helped you over the line a few times in our America Awards. In 2018, winner of Bar with Moxie Times Square, the Magic Hour Rooftop Bar, and last year, you won in the same category for the Fleur Room at the Moxie Chelsea in Manhattan's Flower District. In the same year, we were honored to present you with our award for outstanding contribution, the citation reinforcing the message, saying your achievements were defining the aesthetic of some of North America's preeminent hotel brands. And further, your portfolio crosses the world, 
with the major groups in global hospitality in play. David, thanks again for your time. Perhaps you could give our listeners a, a taste of, of what your work is like, describing your work in sort of overall terms. Well, we began with, a, with I'd say, a singular focus on hospitality, not by design, but, uh, but as it happened, those were the earlier projects that I found in the mid-80s and started to build a portfolio focused on, on restaurants. And it grew out of my fascination with the ground floor of cities. As, as an architect, I've always found the messiness of the ground floor which of course is the floor that the moment is not occupied in cities around the world, was the most compelling. And then from there, we, we sort of expanded into other forms of hospitality, hotels. And then I've always had a passion for live theater, which preceded my interest in architecture. And I found a way to integrate ideas of theater into bigger projects, hospitals, airports, and in the last 20 years, I've begun to establish a real practice designing sets and productions for theaters and have done over 30 Broadway shows in those 20 years. And mean Tony Awards along the way. A Tony Award along the way, yeah. And I don't know about you, but I always find things in the rearview mirror look very neater than they do when you're looking ahead. So I'm now working on a, a book that will come out um, next year with Fiden called Drama. And it's a look at the intersection of theater and architecture and how there are some really interesting, profound truths about theater that uh, affect, I think, architecture and how we look at space. And some of them aren't quite so intuitive, but when you, when you think about it, they're totally uh, relatable. So our work has been bringing together different forms of hospitality and different forms of I would say designing spaces and buildings from the human experience out. That's the, the the building block that we start with is that story and experience that that begins the journey. Maybe let, take us forward now to to a glimpse of of some of your your recent projects and perhaps some of those that you've got in progress. We recently completed uh, several projects at Hudson Yards. The most uh, interesting to me is the shed where we were partnered with. De Los Renfro, they were the lead architects, we were the collaborating architects. And that was over 12 years of working with the city, crafting a new kind of performance space. We also um, completed Equinox's first hotel. And that was, that was fascinating because, as you mentioned, we have done other, other brands. We did the first W, we did the first in, in most of the Nobu hotels. We've sort of led the way with Moxie. And with Andas, we did their first non-urban hotel. So I love firsts. And, you know, after 35 years, there's only so many project types you can do. So we somehow find a way with the client to invent something about their project that will be a first, that it doesn't leverage or copy other projects. And with Equinox, we had a really interesting opportunity to ask, what would a hotel room be like? Uh, what would a hotel experience be like that relates to this brand that's about energy and fitness and connectedness? And that's that's what led us to creating um, that first Equinox Hotel. How about um, the upcoming projects? I see Olio Hotel due in the fall this year. You're also doing a, an executive lounge at uh, 550 Madison, apparently New York City's youngest landmark. How are those uh, coming on? They're all they're all interesting, and we're all, we're in discussions on all of them about when they're going to open and how they may or may not 
need to change or, or, or pivot based on what's going on in the world right now. You know, just to sort of put this out there, because I think it's really true, I think architects and designers are problem solvers. You know, we're inherently optimistic because we're in the world of making things. And so we're very tuned to how we can have that transfer to what we're doing. In the case of Olio, it actually began as an interesting initiative where, as opposed to the brand of the hotel being something imposed on the building, it's on 48th Street and 8th Avenue at the heart of New York's theater district, at the heart of these 41 landmark Broadway theaters. We propose that the hotel be about the Broadway community and benefit the Broadway community. So uh, the American Theater Wing is our non-for-profit partner. Every piece of artwork in the public spaces and the rooms is being done by a uh, working designer. And all of it has income potential and an income stream that funds the American Theater Wing's work as well. So it really aligns, it aligns, talk about it, putting human-centered experience at the center of it. It gives you a chance to have a physical manifestation to a lot of what's so amazing about the theater community. David, let's let's go back a little bit by starting to look at the days immediately before the coronavirus took hold. You're very busy right now, which is great, but traveling a lot less. When was the last time you got on or perhaps got off a plane? Where were you coming from? Tell us. It was February 26th or 27th, coming back from Amsterdam from Schiphol Airport. Actually, the day before New York City restaurants went into lockdown, I went to Nobu downtown and had what turned out to be a sort of last supper. Let's hope not. Uh, and the tables were, you know, spread apart and people were out. And, um, you know, I was watching a, an interesting documentary film looking at longevity and talking about how people thrive over their lives over a long period of time. And one of the things that was pointed out is, you know, physically being with other people, engaging physically with other people is a key. And um, I look out at the city right now and, and much like theater uh, is an inert form without an audience. Right? No one would think their play exists without an audience there. Without the audience and the performers, it's an inert form. And I think cities are essentially inert without activity. So that's one of the things that's sort of painful and a recognition that, um, that as we start to re-inhabit our spaces, I think maybe we'll appreciate a little bit more how how significant these uh, you know gatherings are, meals, uh, walks, conversations, bumping into people. The aim of the podcast is really to explore where the industry might be heading over the next two decades. So, with this in mind, how do you think travel itself will look uh, in twenty years' time? Well, I've got to preface this by saying, anyone who really thinks they know that is going to be in for some surprises. So. I think it's totally unpredictable. If anything we've learned in the past six months is, you know, things are not only unpredictable, but uncontrollable. It's interesting if you look at the world of theaters being built in New York. Post-Spanish flu was the biggest explosion of new Broadway theaters being built. Most of them were built right after that. You know, I don't know whether that's connected or not connected, but I think that in times of really global challenge, there is an opportunity to rethink. And I think the pandemic is going to give us the opportunity that's much needed to rethink ground up 
the travel experience and recentered it, recenter it more around passengers in a much more democratic way. And I think that reckoning has been coming for some time. Looking at travel trends, if you like, where do you think people are going to go? And I'm not saying post-COVID because we already we know that's probably going to be leisure destinations first, then it'll be urban, uh, it'll be uh, local, so within your, within your own country probably, and events, what have you, are going to come back last of all. Where do you think people will go and, and, and how will they travel? Well, I imagine the first place people are going to travel is they're going to rediscover the cities and the, the, their immediate area with a newfound enthusiasm. So I think how, how people start to explore their, their local world, I certainly believe in theater that the first audience that's going to come back will be the local audience. And that's an audience that always took second seat to tourists. So I think in, in cities that depend on tourism, people will rediscover their own cities. I think there'll be a lot more car travel and car destinations, which, you know, you can think back to a time where that was the epitome of glamour. And uh, so I think, you know, both how people travel and in hospitality, we see more and more pop up in cities. It's going to be interesting to think what happens in between cities as, as uh, car travel becomes more prevalent. Is there a way to to sort of jumpstart hospitality that way. I think in terms of destination travel, my guess is people are going to be fascinated about traveling to uh, totally different cultures. Really, the whole world has been through this pandemic together. Uh, I, I know I'm dying to go back to Italy and see a place that was every molecule was based on long, long history and get back to that. So I think there'll be local and global travel probably defined around, you know, who you want to be with, who are the, since we've not been with people, how do we want to kind of re-engage physically with other people? Thank you, David. Developing some of your ideas there, let's look at design more specifically and how new hotels might look in 20 years time. Uh, Is there going to be a new paradigm for hospitality design? You know, hotels are always in such a a process of evolution and, um, you know, just looking at trends in design, I always find that to be toxic because as soon as you can name a trend, it's already morphed into many other trends. And, you know, we've, we've been through in the last 25 years, hotels being all about super luxury rooms and super luxury bathrooms too. It's all about public space and minimal rooms, every version of that. I do think that in this post-COVID world, we're going to have to focus on more adaptable hotels and restaurants. And I think the ability to expand and contract is something that designers and operators will take into account much more seriously. And, and I was speaking to several restaurateurs about responding to being half full, which is perhaps what will happen when restaurants we open, or maybe it's 25% full, but whatever they phase into. And the same will be true for those restaurants and hotels, and hotels will have to respond in kind. I think the challenge for hotels is going to be how half full doesn't actually feel half empty. Yeah, so we're talking here, not the hotel, will be, uh, the restaurant will be full, but instead of uh, 100 covers, it's only got 50 covers. Right, and how does that not feel like half full, but how do you use low partitions? How do you rearrange furniture? How do you use propping accessories? So you leverage that as an asset. And I think 
there's a moment here for hotels to take the experience of fewer people and find a way to make that feel more curated and customized. So I think there'll be lots of innovation on portable small partitions. I think the shrinking guest room syndrome that's been going on for a long time, which we're you know, very much a part of with Moxie, is going to be interesting to see how hotels can change that. What they can control is how many people are in the room, how they book the room. And, and you can start to think in the future, if you're going to create spaces with small hotel rooms, do you have a party wall that is something that in the future can be taken out and double the size of the room? So I think we're going to look at modular and we're going to look at flexibility and adaptability with a much greater grain of focus. And I, I do think that um, hospitality has always been about much more than the physical space. And I think you're already seeing restaurants that are serving liquor directly to the streets and the city and the states are letting that happen for now. But I think as you have to throttle down how many people can be in a space, again, how you're greeted, how designers accommodate that moment of, of hospitality and make people feel welcome and safe. I think safety, there's lots of discussions about guidelines that will make hotels and restaurants feel safe. UV lighting, focusing on ventilation. Just as importantly, they're going to have to signal safety. How does it look from the outside? What is your first view in? How do you, in some ways, make opportunities for people to come back into those physical spaces in a way that feels comfortable? Yeah, and, and relatively quickly after other people have vacated, I think that's going to be one of the issues. In a restaurant, for example, the turnaround times. Um, you know, we, we initiated this program that we're trying to get started in New York around outdoor dining. And we've been speaking to the city and a whole bunch of people. We published a, a plan that looks at a way restaurants can get open right now outdoors, which will give them enough capacity to justify opening up the kitchen and starting to serve meals and also animate the streets. And, you know, if I go back to the analogy of this, the city as a theater without actors in it, start to get people back into remembering why they love public space, but in a safe, organic way. Is that a commercial venture you're talking about, or the City on uh, City Meals on Wheels um, charity idea that you're involved in? No, it's, uh, I'm very involved with Meals on Wheels. This is a pro bono effort that we started from scratch, and we've approached the city about it. And the city's working on legislation. Every city's looking at how to have more outdoor dining. We just came up with an inexpensive system what, that will be totally open source. Anyone can use it of a range of ways, actually 20 different ways from simplest to more complex, that you can start to be outside and inhabit that public space as a restaurant. Let's hope they can kick that in quickly in time for summer. That's our plan. We talked a little bit earlier on about uh, Equinox and what you did there with this idea of wellness and, and bringing that into the hospitality space. Can you explore a bit more and tell us a bit more about perhaps how those, uh, those Equinox rooms look, the guest rooms in particular? Sure. At Equinox clubs, you get the perfect as perfect as you can, opportunity to work at every piece of equipment, organize in a way with people being helpful, and you're with a community of other people who encourage you to, to for fitness in a, in a hotel room. Our, our version of that, or Equinox's version of that with, with us in support, was the perfect place to sleep. So there is one piece of built-in furniture that wraps around, becomes the headboard, 
and uh, also becomes the sofa and the desk. Inspired a little bit by the way yachts are totally built in. And the room is upholstered in very taut upholstery and uh, is incredibly soundproofed, almost recording studio level. Quiet mechanical systems, a bathroom that opens up to a changing room, almost like a, a, a kind of that part of the room where you would get ready for the day uh, and recharge is, is its own area. And then the sleeping area um, has, a, I think, a very successful system. You know, there are those bedside systems where when you try and turn on the lights, it runs the bathtub and, you know, it's not one of those, but it's, it's quite simple to operate. So you're able to get a totally blacked out room at 63 degrees. It can be warmer or colder, but you can get a, a, a cool, dark, totally soundproof and very comfortable room with space to do yoga with a, a mini bar that not only has healthy snacks, but it has exercise equipment you can use as well. So it's a, like a little retreat where you can recharge and get the best possible night's sleep. And what about biophilia? You, talk, you mentioned this, but uh, if, I, if I look at images that I see of, of Equinox in particular, uh, I don't see a lot of sort of hanging walls, green walls and, 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 and plant life. Uh, is that uh, something they're going to be looking at, do you think? Well, biophilia and also, you know, the well designation is more than just plant walls, although there actually are quite a few plants in the public spaces at Equinox. So I think, you know, it, it has to do with extending um, extended uses of wood curved soft shape every every corner in the rooms is ergonomic and something that you want to touch so the sort of the geometry of biophilia the the use of wood and natural materials was the way we interpreted it there but you bring up a really good point i I do think that the use of both more plants more daylight and more outdoor spaces and equinox does have a a great terrace off of the restaurant that will allow that restaurant in season to be open immediately. David, it's a pleasure to talk to you, honestly. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's very nice and easy, and, and I love what you're saying. Theatre is obviously a real passion for you. I know that uh, I think you used to perform anyway, and, and now you're playing the piano. You have a piano in the office, et cetera. So um, clearly this, this runs through, uh, through your real spirit. One of the great lessons in theatre is that things don't last forever, and they're not intended to last forever. And as an architect, there's a particular thrilled to creating a timeless place that stands the test of time. But I think permanence is a goal in architecture, skirts around the desire to have something be of its time and being willing to take creative risks. And I think, you know, designers and architects can play a major role in reconfiguring our world as it changes. And, uh, And the fact is, in reality, nothing is forever. And this moment, I think, gives us a chance to, to pivot and think about how to help. David, uh, I just noticed on your website, you have a, a little a section called Curiosities. And these include elements of theater, uh, which obviously is um, uh, very close to you, very important to you. Light, portability, stadiums. Uh, but the one I liked most was this idea of kaleidoscopes uh, and the chance to th- see things differently. Can you just explain a little bit about that for our listeners? Sure. So I've just been collecting them for for a long time. And I I think the the thing that's most interesting about a kaleidoscope is that it takes fragments to take a kaleidoscope apart. And you look at the fragments, they're fragments that are familiar to you. They can be a piece of glass or an opal or a feather or 
some some small piece but when they're seen through a series of mirrors and in some cases using movement it takes all these familiar pieces and creates entirely new patterns and interpretations and i've just found it to be a great analogy for design and i i find them endlessly fascinating uh, and endlessly surprising and you know in in some ways central to our work david thank you very much indeed for your time david rockwell problem solver a maker fascinated with the kaleidoscopes and the theater look out for his new book published by fidon thank you david my pleasure thank you for doing this sleeper 2020 a series of conversations with explorers artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design This podcast is brought to you in association with Caldevi, your worldwide partner for iconic bathroom solutions shaped from superior steel enamel. Caldevi's extensive range of bathtubs, shower surfaces and wash basins is ideally suited to the demands of the hospitality industry, delivering an increased level of health and well-being awareness for your hotel. The smooth, non-porous glass surface not only gives you security against germs and dirt, but is also the material of the future. Caldevi steel enamel is made of 100% natural materials and is 100% recyclable, so it's good for your guests and the planet too. To learn more, visit caldevi.com.